Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the Reds Unrestricted Podcast. It is Thursday the 19th of August 2021. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. My name's Dan Club and I'm going to be your host today. Um, I'm joined as ever by my trusty co-host slash sometimes host, Dave Comerford. Um, Dave, how are we first of all and how did you enjoy the opening Premier League weekend with fans back in? Very good, Dan. Um, I, I enjoyed it a lot because it just elevates the spectacle, doesn't it? Um, and to have that feeling on, on a Saturday evening of kind of the buzz of, of having that victory and then being able to watch the, the first match today, the, the new season. It's just, it's always a, it's always a great day that. So, so yeah, um, a really enjoyable start to the season and I'm just, you know, eager for kind of the next instalment. Now I think the, the really um, special one is going to be the Chelsea game at the end of this month. I think the atmosphere is going to be absolutely off the charts for that one. Yeah, I agree. Um, I also think the atmosphere this weekend, for all the reasons that we'll probably touch down on in a little bit later on during the uh, the episode, because obviously fans haven't been back in full in the league game um, since we won the Premier League, um, or even before that, if you like. Um, yeah, our guest this week is um, Andy Wales, a writer and podcaster for Anfield Index and World Football Index. Um, Andy, first of all, thanks for joining us. Um, how are you? And same question, how did you enjoy the Premier League opening weekend? Well, thanks for having me on. Pleasure is all mine. And I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm over here in Germany, so it's a little bit of a different experience. Um, I certainly did enjoy Saturday, though, and I enjoyed it with a couple of beers. And I enjoyed it with a few more beers after that as well. So, yeah, it was it was fantastic. Nice way to kick off the weekend. Always... Um, that's a sparkle when Liverpool get three points. It, um, it either destroys or enhances your weekend. And it, yeah, it was a nice way to start. And it was especially uh, good to hear the away fans at a ground like that. And to hear Bobby's name being sung, little things like that. They just um, make you feel that, yeah, we. this is it. This is what we missed. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but football, as we know, it was definitely back this weekend, I think. Um, and it's been a pretty exciting start. You mentioned, uh, obviously, living out in Germany there. It's been a pretty exciting start over there with the uh, Super Cup and Erling Haaland off to an absolute flyer as ever. I think, he's, I think he's scored twice and got three assists in the first Bundesliga game on the weekend, which is just ludicrous. Yeah, he is. He's a ludicrous player. He, he <laughs> really, really is. He is... Oh my! I've, I've put I've put way too much emotional um, investment into hoping that we would sign him next season. And I, I, yeah. I, 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 I'm not. I better doubt that will happen. But um, what a player! Honestly, it is. Uh, it's sensational to watch him, and not just him. There's plenty of other players as well. You know, so many mm. up and coming talents, players and coaches. So it's 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 a great league to watch, yeah. and yeah, and the whole experience. Of, you know, we talk about the fans that you know in so many games as well it is it's a really sort of pure footballing experience yeah i can imagine and i don't think you're the only one hoping amongst all hopes that we can land harland next summer but we'll wait and see um to kick off the pod um we're going to bring back a game of who am i this week a little bit easier this time i hope 
um, and I'll bring you both in on this. So jump in with answers whenever you feel necessary. Um, I can imagine this one will go quite quickly, if I'm honest. Um, so we'll get started. I've got to do it a funny way around, because if I told you who's born, it might make it too easy to begin with. So Liverpool signed this player um, on a free transfer um, in the year 2000. Um, he made his debut. Liverpool in the same year, year 2000 as well. He made his last appearance for Liverpool in 2002. Um, his honours while he was at the club include the FA Cup, League Cup, UEFA Cup and European Super Cup. His previous clubs, this is where it gets interesting, were Motherwell, Leicester, Leeds United. Oh, there we go. I knew the clubs would give it away. I swear yeah. it played longer than that. It feels like that, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I'd just like to clarify my uh, my information comes off LFC history. Oh, I, so. I, it just it, it just feels maybe it's it's my age. It's been that long. It just felt like he played longer than that. He was so good. He's got such he's got such like an iconic um, recognition amongst Liverpool fans as well. It feels like he has to have played longer, but you know maybe it's just because he won so much stuff and was so influential while he was there. Um, but yeah, well done, Andrew. Takes the. Uh, Takes the points. Um, and we will move on to the actual podcast now. Um, and this week we're going to be discussing the contract situation, which is probably the biggest talking point in terms of transfer activity, if you like, at Anfield at the moment. Um, and then we're going to quickly look back on a couple of elements of the Norwich performance before moving on to Burnley at the weekend. So I'll bring you in, Dave, on this um, as Andy won the Who Am I? Um, Jordan Henderson this week um, looks to be edging towards a new deal, which is something that looked a bit in doubt a few weeks ago. We almost dedicated a podcast to the fact he could be heading out in strange circumstances. So just your reaction to the fact it looks like he's going to stay, um, because I believe he's reached an agreement in principle that's been described as. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, on the who am I think, first of all, when I do it next week... I'm gonna make sure it's my my era. I mean, I think I would have got it like eventually that one, but um, I'm thinking 2006 or after <laughs> next week. Fair um, but yeah, on the Henderson thing, it didn't really come as a huge surprise to me. Not to say that it wasn't like a boost, obviously, but you know, it did strike me. The story did strike me as a little bit overblown. Uh, I, I know Paul Ghost from the Echo used the phrase um, "a bit of a storm in a teacup." And the kind of swift revolu- resolution does really point to that being the case. I mean, when the story first came out, it the line that stood out to me was that the negotiations hadn't actually broken down. They were just kind of on pause. And I kind of viewed it as a simply a more kind of complex discussion um, between the two parties. And, you know, that was for some of the reasons we discussed at the time when we kind of debated the, the merits of the model, if you like so. I think the fact that the fourth year of the contract uh, apparently depends on playing time reflects the kind of complexity of, of this negotiation because there's a kind of an element of risk and uncertainty here. Whereas with the, the Trent, Allison and Fabinho deals, which were which have been done already, you know, it's comparatively clear cut and there isn't really any risk or debate to be had there. Um, but the one one thing I will say on this is that. Apparently, Klopp was was pivotal in the uh, the breakthrough that that seems to have been reached, and I did say at the time that I thought he'd kind of assert himself in this in this case because 
I think the thoughts of losing, you know, Henderson so soon after Wijnaldum in, in similar circumstances was pretty much unconscionable for him and that he wouldn't just accept that um, this was the way the club was run. So, so good news, not particularly surprising. And I also think a bit of a, a, a show of show of strength, maybe, um, from Klopp. Yeah, it certainly looks that way. Um, I think Klopp was keen to keep Wijnaldum. Obviously, he's pretty much come out and said that himself, but maybe not as keen as he is to keep Henderson. And that might reflect in one of them getting a deal that they want and the other one not. Um, Andy, I'll bring you in on this. Do you echo Dave's thoughts in that it was always going to be resolved? And do you believe it's it's a good thing that he is going to stay longer? Yeah, I feel pretty much the same. I, I always felt fairly confident that that they would reach an agreement and it would come to pass and that a lot of the talk and the things that were going on were kind of overblown and, you know, agents are going to be agents. That's, that is their job, but yeah, certainly a good thing. And I think, you know, the club part of it is important because Jurgen Klopp is a manager who, or a coach who, who really values the human side of it. And I think as much as, as um, Jordan Henderson, the footballer on the pitch is important to Liverpool I think Jordan Henderson, the human being, the the guy behind the scenes, the guy in the dressing room, the the guy that um, you know, a good a good solid human being who uh, Jurgen Klopp can relate to. I think that's that's an important factor in this as well. You know, Jurgen Klopp wants trusted people around him, and you know he's a senior player. He's the club captain. He's still a valuable member of the team of the squad. So yeah, it, it's clear that you know Jurgen values him you know for his contribution both on and off the pitch and wants him to stick around and, and does see him as an important part of the team but yeah it, it's it, it, I think the whole thing is it's just a case of his age the injuries there is that sort of balance to strike in it all and yeah. and and I, and I think you know adding a year onto his current deal with the option possibility there of an extra one it makes sense for both parties because it, I think at the end of that that does leave things open as well for for John Henderson being that, you know, being mid thirties, you know, will he then be in a position where he wants to maybe move into coaching, stay at Liverpool, see out his career, or would he maybe want to go back to Sunderland, his hometown club, his boyhood club, uh, and maybe, you know, see his career out there. It's, it, there's, there's plenty open on the table because um, I think Henderson's still got plenty to offer. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, it smacks a little bit of the similar situation with what we've had with uh, James Milner for a period of time now. Um, not to the same extremities yet, but in a couple of seasons' time, when Henderson starts getting towards the option of a one-year extension and maybe a year after that and so on and so on, that's the way we've treated Milner for a while. Obviously, we've reduced playing time included, but I think you're both dead right. I think it was pretty cut and dry, Um and Paul Gorse was spot on when he said it was a bit of a storm in a teacup. I think linking Henderson with the likes of PSG and Atletico Madrid was probably a little bit premature and maybe a bit of a panic amongst some. Um, so moving on now, I'll come back to you, Andy, on this one. Um, we're looking at Mohamed Salah, um, a completely different, probably sort of negotiation pattern, I'd say, um, particularly in light of his agent who on the weekend after the Norwich game, essentially tweeted, uh, I hope they're watching, um, cryptic, kind of veiled, but probably aimed at FSG um, and the ongoing contract negotiations. Now, it's different than the Henderson situation purely because of the um, the money involved, um, to put it bluntly. 
Um, Salah's probably looking to be in a top earner. So, are you concerned that we haven't managed to um, tie him down as of yet, or are you quite confident that that'll get done as well? I, I wouldn't say I'm concerned because I, I think there's still plenty of time. I, I do feel that we're we're more than likely to get this one sorted because again, you know, he's he's another trusted player. He's a value player within the club at all levels. Uh, what he does on the pitch, everything, you know, he's. he's this is the thing, you know, Mohamed Salah came to us as, as in some light, as in, or seen in some lights as, as a bit of a misfit. You know, the guy who, who flopped and couldn't do it. And in his time at Liverpool, he's, he's become a world star. You know, he's took his game up several levels. And, and I think the difference, not just the money side of it, but with the age, Salah being 29, he just recently turned 29. He's an explosive player. Is that different type of player? Um, and it's, yeah, being a high earner, it, again, it's another one of those. It's the delicate balance to strike between the money and the value of the player and what they can offer and how long can they offer it for. And it's, I guess it's it's that difficult thing, isn't it? That um, FSG want to balance the books, which is understandable. And we certainly, you know, look at some of clubs, mm. the way that they run you know financially we, we certainly don't want to be getting into them kind of waters but also you know the these top players are what put you at the top there's a reason why you are there and you do need to yeah. reward them you need to keep them around and and well you know have we got anyone waiting in the wings ready to replace him and how much would it cost in order to replace him and that's you know all these kind of things mm-hmm. to, to weigh up and balance out but it, it is a delicate one I, I do feel like we will get we will get there. Um, again, whether that's just like an extra two years to his current deal or something like that, it's, it's difficult to say. But um, yeah, I, I don't, again, he's another one. I don't worry too much about the agent because, you know, it's an agent's job to to get the best deal for their client. And, you know, different agents work in different ways. And yeah, they, they, they I guess that's his job to put yeah. pressure on the club, isn't it, before the uh, before the transfer window closes. Yeah, it's not the first time he's done something similar as well, I believe. I think it was um, a previous instance of his agent getting involved on Twitter. Um, Dave, I'll bring you in. Andy mentions Salah approaching 30, if you like, there. I know it's something you're quite big on. You've mentioned it before in the podcast. Is we're quick to write off players once they've turned 30. Um, Salah's performances show no sign of, of waning whatsoever. Um, partly due to the fact he's probably he's in such good condition. That you know, he, he doesn't look like a 30 year old by any stretch of the imagination. So, when it comes to extending his deal, is there any risk attached there, or, or is it pretty much a, a no brainer for you? I mean, Liverpool extended Van Dyke's deal, didn't they? And he will be, I think, 34 by the time that finishes. And obviously, the, the factor that's separated two of them is that Van Dyke's just come back from a, a serious injury. So, I don't think the age comes into it too much when it when it's a player like Salah, really. I think what Andy said about the balancing act is, is kind of spot on, really, because obviously there's a wage structure in place, but Salah's within his rights to demand a, a kind of a base salary. That puts him in the same bracket as the best players in the league. And I know when we had Mo on uh, a couple of weeks ago, he, he was talking about how Salah's bonuses are actually putting him, you know, amongst those players, yeah. maybe, but he equally, he's, he's going to demand probably an upgrade on, and I think the 200k a week that 
he is kind of guaranteed to earn at least. So it's a case of how far Liverpool are going to stretch. Um, as much as they're obviously going to be desperate to get it done, I would expect them to sign. But like, it's clear now that well, clear to me at least that negotiations have dragged on beyond what I think both parties would have liked. From Liverpool's point of view, the worry is that obviously if you raise the, the wage ceiling, which is roughly where Salah is, and um, might have been overtaken by some of the renewals, but if you raise that, it's going to have a knock-on effect as players will, you know, obviously have that as a frame of reference. But the thing is, it's increasingly hard to avoid the kind of 300k mark um, with wages simply because of the the natural inflation that that's taking place. And, you know, the only players you can really claim to be as important as Salah and deserve similar financial recognition for that are, are Alisson and Van Dijk and they've signed new deals already. So the knock-on effect might not actually be that severe. So, yeah, I expect it to get done. I understand why it hasn't been done already. And I also think that it'll be interesting to see immediately afterwards what the, the Mane negotiations go like as his contract expires um the same year so are they going to be more straightforward are there going to be maybe some slight doubts there from Liverpool based on how he performed last season so so yeah not not the last contract issue but certainly the priority now you think yeah and I think I think um Roberto Firmino the same to be honest I know it's something we discussed previously um on the pod with Mo but um there's definitely an element of I don't know whether all three of them will get renewals. I think I said at the time, Firmino might be the one to be almost sacrificed or offered a renewal on reduced terms, potentially. I can't see them improving deals across the board for that front three, just because of the age of all three of them. Um, I just don't think it's within their model to to go again with the same three, if you like. Um, I also want to pick up on um, something Andy said about the balancing act in terms of how much you can give Salah based on how much it would cost to replace him. Um, and it's a great point because, you know, you're looking at a £100 million footballer um, and that is a hell of an outlay compared to simply renewing his deal um, and keeping your already £100 million footballer. And it's something Klopp touched upon as well in terms of when he reeled off the squad recently saying, who would you replace or who, who should we bring in to replace XYZ? Um, and we are quite blessed. Um, in terms of the players we've got. And that's what makes these contract renewals so important. And it's important to remember when Liverpool aren't exactly signing players that we do already have a pretty decent squad. Um, and on the topic of which, we'll move on to a couple of the squad members, um, one of which has been brought up already in Virgil van Dijk. Um, I'll come to you, Andy, on this. Um, just his performance against Norwich, really. Um, probably not 100% Virgil van Dijk that we're used to. But what did you make of his um, competitive comeback? And do you think the signs were pretty positive? It, it was fantastic to see him back out there for a start. I mean, it was it was so reassuring to to see him back playing to get through ninety minutes. I, I must admit, I didn't expect us to expect us to be seeing him start games and finish games until September. So, yeah, it, it's great that he's um, he's back. He did look rusty. I think there's absolutely no denying that. But then the guy's been out for, you know, what was it, nine, ten months, you know, October yeah. last year. So 
and such a serious injury as well. It, it's there's no way in the world he's going to come back and, and slot straight in and be be the player he was right at that moment straight away. It's going to take time to get himself to build himself back up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I there was a, yeah there was a few little moments in there where it was that wasn't the Virgil Van Dijk that he used to seeing, but no. I, I'm I'm not in any way concerned by that at this point, certainly at this point, just because, as I said, you know, he's literally just come back and, and it's important again, you know, that he gets them 90 minutes under his belt, hopefully gets another 90 minutes under his belt against Burnley so that he is more up to speed and he is getting closer to uh, back to his peak uh, when we take on Chelsea, because that's such a mm. huge match and, and it's not far away. So, you know, it, it's, it's vital that we've got him there. Uh, but I do think as well that the you know why whilst he wasn't quite himself in certain little moments, it's that organisation, it's yeah. that reassurance, it's that experience in the back. I think especially important because Shimakas was playing. I think it was sort of vitally important that the rest of the back four and the goalkeeper was so familiar and those plays in front of him as well because then we're just slotting one new face into into the back four rather than, you know, two or three. And we, we saw the scenarios with that last season, you know, where the, where the defence is changing around too much. So having some stability is it, fantastic. Uh, and, and certainly help. I think it's important to help Jimmy Cass with that. But yeah, it overriding thing was it's just such a nice thing to see Virgil van Dijk back in the Liverpool shirt again. Yeah, it, it certainly was. And you're dead right to pick up on sort of the organisational side of things. Um, he might not have quite been at peak in terms of one-on-one and dealing with situations, but in terms of, you know, organising the defence, he was, he was there and obviously we kept a clean sheet, um, albeit perhaps thanks to Alisson towards the end, clawing things as far away from the goal as humanly possible. Um, Dave, I'll, I'll get your opinion on Van Dijk's um, return. I um, also think it's important to mention Joel Matip, who I thought was outstanding and I think we're kind of forgetting that he was injured for a good chunk of last season. He's kind of slotted back in seamlessly as well. So I'll get your opinion on both of them. I mean, I've said a few times that I think it's almost remarkable how Matip just starts back into the team and, and plays and plays like that. And I think he's a massively underrated player, if I'm honest. Like people are saying he's not far off world class when he, you know, when he plays and stuff, but I don't see how he is in world class. How many defend centre backs can you name that are better than him? Like he's, he literally never makes mistakes. Like, but I mean, on Van Dijk, you know, Andy, I think has summed it up quite well. I don't think there were any surprises for people who kind of watched the preseason games. You know, he was playing those pa- passes in preseason. I distinctly remember watching one from almost directly behind them um, in the uh, the Bilbao game. And it kind of gives you a warm and fuzzy feeling inside when you see him pick out one of them diagonals. Um, and there was, you know, even in pre-season, he was out-muscling attackers as well. I think we saw both of those things against Norwich. We also saw the kind of slight sluggishness. Um, and Norwich, I think, sensed that with their kind of tendency to try and whip balls in behind their kind of right channel. Um, so they, they knew it was a, a bit of a vulnerability and I also think more generally he doesn't look like he fully wants to push himself yet particularly when it comes to you know running at, at full speed 
and there's probably a greater reliance on, on his teammates to do some of the defensive work than we might be used to. And that's obviously completely understandable. And what Andy mentions about the Chelsea game, you know, raises another point. And I'm not sure if football clubs actually work like this, but I wonder if there's a possibility that Klopp's looked at the first two fixtures, the profile of the, the opponents that we're facing, and has almost decided this is an opportunity to get Van Dijk up to Premier League match fitness for the Chelsea game because he can almost, you know, come through those games at 80-85% and then hopefully be approaching 100 by the time he's up against Lukaku, obviously one of the best strikers in the world. So whether that kind of calculated risk has taken place, I'm not sure, but, you know, it was something that occurred to me. Yeah, I would have agreed with that based on the Norwich game. Um, I'm not convinced... um... We can afford to think like that for Burnley. I think they'll pose um, a challenge to Van Dijk. Not one necessarily that he can't deal with, but certainly a physical threat um, in the shape of Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes that we tend to have struggle coping with in the past at the best of times. So maybe if he's a week further down the line in terms of fitness, which we expect he will be, he'll be slightly more primed and ready to deal with it again. Um, And then who knows, by the time Chelsea comes around, he could be Back to Virgil, we all know and love. Um, but yeah, I think it's important that you both kind of touch on the passing side of things. It's something I would wanted to bring up, but now I don't need to because that just brings another string to our bow. And Mane, there was almost a, a repeat of the Bayern Munich slash Norwich goal from a few years ago where Van Dijk finds Mane almost on the running behind and, and things happen from there. So that's another side of things we missed with Nat Phillips and Reese Williams as well as they did they can't find passes like Virgil van Dijk can across the field. So it was good news to see him back, like we've all said. Um, Andy, you did mention um, Simicas um, being slotted into the side. Um, it looks like Andy Robertson's uh, on the mend far quicker than we all expected. So I'm not sure he'll play this weekend, but maybe Chelsea. But on Simicas, I think Jurgen Klopp said it looked like someone pulled the plug on him after an hour, but he was really good up until that point. So what did you make of his his actual full debut um, against Norwich on the weekend. Yeah, yeah that's quite fair. Um, I thought it was probably around about yeah, the last sort of 20 minutes. He, he looked a bit knackered. But I, I thought he, he played well. He's certainly going forward. He, you know, he, he contributed. His corners were really nice. really whipped them in. There was a couple of moments, I thought, defensively. There was certainly one with Alisson where he's going to clear the ball where, not, where Alisson normally clean up. And again, that's just that unfamiliarity side of it. And and that's why I do think, you know, that having the rest of the back four being so familiar, being so stable, that, that just helps him kind of slot in without anybody else having to worry about anybody else and what they do because they all know each other so well. So, you know, yes, he's been here a year and, and yes, he'll have done so much training, but getting out there in match day situations is certainly different. And, and certainly... You know, the, the intensity of the Premier League in the first game of the season, that you know, a newly promoted team with so much to play for. Uh, and they just, they try to get it in. They try to get it in. But um, I, I thought he was pretty diligent and, and overall a good performance. And it was encouraging. And it was, it, it also, I think it was important in the sense for Andy Robertson that we're not going to have to rely on him all the time and absolutely flog him. Because I think that was a thing last season as well is, 
he just played too many games. And there was a point where he looked like he was uh, he was running on fumes and mm. he wasn't quite himself. And again, he, he just, that's another dimension to our team. Like, like Virgil's passing, the, you know, what we get from the fullbacks, obviously, it's, I mean, it's a massive part of our team, but it's the, it, these are the dimensions of our team. And when our, Robertson is our honey left back and he's not firing, it just mm. takes away something else from the team. So to have another option there, to be able to to take Robertson out at times and manage his minutes just a little bit better and also not feel that we've got to pressure him and rush him back in if he's not quite ready. Uh, it, it's all it's going to be important to the overall balance across the full campaign. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I was made up when we signed uh, Simicast last season because I thought it would afford us the opportunity to rest Robertson. Obviously, injuries elsewhere meant that we couldn't really pull out one of our main starters. It's just to capitulate everything. Um, but yeah, I've been quite impressed with Sid McCass. I thought he did well at the weekend. And, you know, seeing him come on for Robertson and even start certain games, I'd have no qualms. So, real, real positive to take from the game as well, I thought. And speaking of potentially seeing Simicass again, we will move on to Burnley. Um, we've touched on sort of what we expect from them in terms of... I said that they give us all sorts of nightmares because they often do. And they obviously ended the unbeaten run at Anfield last year, which was uh, memorable for the wrong reasons. So I'll come back to you, Andy, straight away on this. Um, just quickly what you expect from Burnley um, and, and the game. And also I'll get your predicted lineup from a Liverpool point of view. Well, we certainly owe them one. The Burnley are Burnley. They're always they're going to be what they're going to be. Yeah, they they might have looked well off their usual sort of um, pace or or standards the, the the past weekend. But um, you know, with another week under their legs on the training ground, we know they're going to be well organised. They're going to be mm-hmm. difficult to break down. They're going to make try and make life really uncomfortable for us because that's what they do. They're very good at it, and it's up to us to break them down. That's that's just the way it is. So I would expect Burnley to be the Burnley that we'd normally see at Anfield. Yeah. Uh, and, and personally, I'd be happy with the back four to stay as it is. Um, just bring Fabinho in for Milner. Mm-hmm. And with Chelsea in mind, either Thiago or Henderson to come in for Ox. Preferably, from, from my perspective, Thiago in terms of being able to control the game mm-hmm. against Chelsea. And then... I think important as well is to get Bobby to start and yeah. Jota as a sub. So both of them two have had starts ahead of the Chelsea game and then we can um, you know, make the selections based on that. But that freshness in midfield and, and attack, not just for Burnley, but also as we have to do because Chelsea are going to be contenders as such an important uh, opponent. So we, we've, we do have to kind of have that in the back of our minds, I feel. Yeah, 100%. I think... The midfield probably the biggest sort of bone of contention from from the weekend because it was probably well it was a makeshift mid, midfield let's have it right um, with Thiago, Fabinho and Henderson all sat on the bench that was nowhere near our strongest so there could be a, a suggestion that Liverpool go first choice eleven and get ready for Chelsea or do we mix and match a little bit and and kind of prepare that way so Dave I'll come to you with the same sort of question. Um, do you expect a tough opponent in Sean Dyche's well-organised Burnley and your preferred eleven? I think the, the Burnley game that we lost last year was the one that we kind of discussed in the very first podcast that we did, actually. Um, and I was thinking about it, and I think 
we've only won one of the last four against them Anfield, which makes this out like a bit a bit of a bogey fixture. Mm. You know, some of the preconceptions you have about Burnley might be a little bit maybe misguided. And I think, for example, defensively, they're not quite as strong as the reputation would would have you think. And one thing I will say though is it's the kind of game where if you're not on it, it can it can become quite agonizing. And uh so you, you need to be kind of quick out the box and kind of set the tone from there, really. So in terms of a team, I've gone for the same back five that we saw against Norwich. Um, the midfield points, a valid one, you know, to, to put in that performance um, last weekend without not only Robertson, but the whole first-choice midfield makes it extra impressive. I've gone for that uh, first-choice midfield to be reinstated off the back of Thiago and Henderson playing 80 minutes in that uh, behind-closed-doors yeah. friendly against Villa. So Fabinho, Henderson, Thiago. And I've gone for Jota to keep his place. Um, and much like in midfield, where I wouldn't mind if Keita played, I wouldn't necessarily mind if if Firmino played, because even though Jota scored against Norwich, there was some you know, all-around concern in terms of the level of involvement in the game and a couple of moments where I thought the understanding wasn't quite there with with Mane and Salah, understandably, mm-hmm. obviously. But you know, for reasons I've I've kind of previously stated, I'm kind of sticking with, with Jota in, in my teams for now. Um, on the back of his, you know, very strong debut season and Firmino's yeah. struggles. Yeah, I think that's I think that's completely fair enough. I had a feeling you're going to go with Jota, to be honest. Um, from my point of view, I think Burnley be tough um, as long as they don't score straight from a corner in the opening five minutes. Um, I think I'll be okay. Uh, but yeah, we need to start fast. You're dead right. Um, early goals always help in games like, like this, but they help in most games. Um, from my point of view, for the team, same same back five, as you guys have said. I think Matip um, and Van Dijk, they're probably the first choice two right now. And that will change as the season wears on, I imagine. Um, Gomez gets fitter. Canate gets more used to us. Um in terms of midfield, I'm with you, Dave. I'd go first choice um, just because I want to see it once before we play Chelsea in that huge game next weekend. That's no disrespect to Burnley, um, far from it, but I want to see that midfield play together before we face our toughest test of the season so far. Um, and I am, um, to split you boys up, I am in the Roberto Firmino camp for this one just because he offers something a bit different. And then Jota, in terms of, I think Jota, Mane and Salah all kind of want to do the same thing. And I think Firmino's ability to drag the likes of Tarkovsky and me away from Salah could be really important. So that's my uh, rationale. Anyway, let's see what happens. Um, so, yeah, just time to get some predictions um, for what we've all said will be a tough game. So, Dave, I'll come to you first with a prediction for Saturday. Two delta was I'm going with. And I also want to introduce something quickly to the podcast um i'm going to keep track of the predictions over the course of the season oh yeah i'm going to go one point for correct outcome two points for correct outcome and margin and three points for correct scoreline um so oh, just yeah. a quick quickly recap last week i went for two one to us so i get one point you went for two nil so one point for you as well and our guest Stephen went for three nil so he, he got three points so <gasps> the guests are off to a flying stars and we're we're both yeah. sat on one yeah, what, what score have you gone with? Um, I'm going to say, for point of difference now, you said that, I'm going to say 3-0 Liverpool. Um, we'll get that early goal I spoke about and we'll cruise from there. 
So, Andy, you've heard the guests are on three points. No pressure. What are you saying? I'm going to go, I'm going to really boring and say 2 1. I, I think the real key to this then, if Firmino plays, it's a runner from midfield to hit mm. that space. And I think we can do that. So, yeah, I'm going to go 2 1. That's fair enough. Three wins um, across the board. That's, that's all that matters, I think, at this stage of the season, especially going into that Chelsea game. Um, but yeah, that is um, all we got time for this week. So, Andy, we'll give um, guests, as ever, the obligatory chance to promote anything, whether it be Twitter handle, that will be in the description. But just want to say thanks for coming on, obviously. Um, and yeah, quickly promote anything you want. Yeah, pleasure's all mine. Thanks for having me on. Um, I, I do a regular column on World Football Index for Bundesliga football. So if you are interested, please uh, please do read it. Thanks, thanks for having me. No problem at all. Good man. Yeah, we will be back next week for episode 31 to reflect um, on probably another three points for the guest, um, but hopefully three points for Liverpool. Um, and also look ahead to that Chelsea game. So yeah, that's all we've got time for. Thanks for listening.